Morning. Okay, today's reading is from the book of Matthew. It is chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is the gospel of Christ. Well, do take a seat. Isn't that a marvellous series of songs? In a moment, I'm going to pray. Uh, we're continuing this little series in Matthew, and I'm going to pray. That's not just uh, something we do kind of out of habit at the beginning of the sermon. We desperately need God to speak to us, and so I'm going to pray that he would do that by his spirit now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks, and so we plead with you. Give each one of us ears to hear, hearts that are willing to obey. Be with us by your spirit for our good and for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I should have said earlier, I, I mentioned the prayer meeting. Uh, I should have said there's some very exciting news that I'm going to share at the prayer meeting. I, I can't do it in this forum, but I will do it there. So if coming to pray isn't inducement enough, come and hear the special news. Our church purpose statement says that we want to know Jesus and make him known. But how are we to do that? How are we to make Jesus known. We saw last time, didn't we, there is a massive, urgent task. We heard something of that in the interviews. People are spiritually helpless, harassed, like sheep without a shepherd, because they do not know the good shepherd, God himself. There is a massive need. People all around Christchurch will die without a knowledge of the Saviour. People in towns and villages in Canterbury, around New Zealand, have never heard the gospel clearly. I heard yesterday a statistic that 46% of the 7 billion people on this globe are a part of a, a people group that doesn't hear the gospel regularly. The privilege we have here, week by week, of hearing the gospel expounded is not enjoyed by them. It's over 3 billion people. It's extraordinary. The task is massive. How are we to do it? To make 
to know Jesus and make him known? How are we to tackle this immense challenge? Well, in Matthew 10, we have the instructions given uh, by Jesus to his 12 disciples as he's about to send them out. And these verses are tricky because it's not always clear what, in fact, it's often not clear what is description and what is prescription. That is to say, what is simply what Jesus said and what is what Jesus said that we're meant to copy and follow. And as we work through these verses, clearly there are some things that only apply to the 12. But even as we see those things, it gives us a clarity to our own different task. There are other things where the detail doesn't apply. I don't know about you, but I don't own a staff. quite like a staff. That'd be quite fun. But I don't own a staff. And clearly the specifics about staffs don't apply. But the principles behind that are challenging. I don't really have points this morning, but I think this passage breaks down into four bits. Uh, the first four verses are who is being sent. Who is being sent. And then verses 5 to 8, who are they sent to and what are they to do? And then 9 and 10, how are they to do it? And then the 11 to the end, what is the result? What is the eternal impact of this mission? Well, who is being sent? Jesus chooses 12 disciples here, doesn't he? He gives them authority and power to drive out demons, to heal every disease and sickness. And then in verse 2, we have this list of the apostles. Apostles just means sent one. And so in the Bible, there are a number of apostles. There are apostles sent from churches to other churches with the authority to speak on behalf of the church. But these 12 are Jesus' apostles, sent with Jesus' authority, with the ability to do what Jesus did. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on these 12, but just notice a few things here. They're ordinary people. They're not spiritual superstars. Peter, Andrew, they're fishermen. They're not the kind of people that our society would choose as leaders. They're not particularly well-educated. They haven't been to elite schools. They haven't been to business school or, or served in the higher echelons of the army. They're ordinary people like you and me. But they've been with Jesus. And they're called and commissioned by Jesus. And so he uses them in his service. And so to us, if we're believers, called and commissioned in a different way, but called and commissioned nonetheless. Notice also they're sinful people. Now in a sense that's a truism, isn't it? All of us are sinners. But notice there's Matthew, the tax collector, and we saw a few weeks ago Matthew, didn't we? And tax collectors in a sense were notorious sinners. There may be some here thinking, my sins are too grievous for me to be used in God's service. Not true. If you've met Jesus, your sins are wiped away. Nothing in our past disqualifies us from his service. Ordinary people, sinful people, just like us. Notice also that there's someone who betrays Jesus. Look at the last, uh, the last name, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And see what's going on here. This is the first ordination service in the New Testament. And these 12 are sent out and one stabs Jesus in the back. And we might think, well, did Jesus not know what was going on? Was his selection criteria not strict enough? No, of course not. It just warns us that those who are in full-time vocational ministry will sometimes fall. And I say that for two reasons. One is, please pray for those of us who are in full-time vocational ministry. I know that it is only by the grace of God that I do not, like Judas, stab Jesus in the back. Pray for me. Pray for Jeff. Pray for Jay. 
pray for other leaders that we will not fall. But I say it also so that when leaders do fall, as tragically from time to time they do, that we won't be shaken. Because when some seemingly godly leader falls, it does shake, doesn't it? Some to the core. But this reminds us we shouldn't be. My home church in London had a very gifted pastor, hugely fruitful ministry. A number of the people who would be senior leaders in England at the moment are there humanly because of his ministry. And a number of years, tragically, after he retired, he, it was found out he'd been engaging in abusive practices, made front-page headlines all around the world, actually. You may have read about him. And somebody in that church said, having found that out, it shakes the foundation of my faith to the core. feels like the foundation has crumbled. But of course, the foundation hasn't crumbled if the foundation is Jesus Christ. Our heroes, even our Christian heroes, will let us down. Don't be surprised. Well, that's who's sent. Who are they sent to? What are they to do? Look at verses 5 to 8. And this really is where their mission is most different from ours. They are sent, verse 5, to Israel. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. They're restricted geographically, not, not racially. Remember, Jesus has blessed the number of Gentiles, but geographically to the area of Israel. But that's not how our commission is. Think of the end of this gospel as Jesus commissions all of his disciples. What does he say? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and go and make disciples of all nations. That is our commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. But at this point in the gospel story, Jesus goes first to Israel, that Israel might return to the Lord and and be a blessing to the world. And in a sense, he calls 12, 12 disciples, like the 12 tribes of Israel, that they might be a new Israel. But not to be restricted to Israel, but all those who gather and, and submit to the Son, that they might be a blessing to the whole world. Ultimately, the mission is and always has been global. But what do they do? Well, the 12 are to do as Jesus has done. As you go, verse 7, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same message we've seen John the Baptist preaching. It's the same message that Jesus himself is preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. But the twelve are not just to preach the same message. They're to do the same things as Jesus. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. It's exactly what Jesus has been doing. Well, again, there are similarities and differences with our mission. We are to preach the good news of the kingdom. But we're not called to do what Jesus does in the same way. Just as Jesus' miracles authenticate who he is, they show us what the kingdom of heaven is like, a place without disease, without death, without sin. So the apostles go out with Jesus' personal authority, doing what he did to show that link with him, that they are his personal ambassadors. But our commission is not to do what Jesus did, but to obey what Jesus commands. Think again of Matthew 28, the commission to all disciples. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That is our job. 
to be disciples and to make disciples. And so we don't need to do these miracles to authenticate our ministry. Rather, we point people to the authenticated ministry of Jesus and the apostles so that they may too become disciples, learning to obey Jesus. Well, that is our task. But how are we to do it? How are we to do it? Some principles from verses 9 to 10. First, we are to do it freely. Look at verse 8. Freely you have received. Freely give. If you're a Christian, I'd love you to think of the person who first told you the gospel. When they told you the gospel, did they say, well, that's, I've told you the gospel, now you owe me $50? No, of course they didn't. Did they tell you, look, I've told you about Jesus, and give Jesus $50 and he'll forgive your sins? No, of course they didn't. Freely you've received. Freely give. Now, tragically, there are times in church history when the church has erred on this. Just before the Reformation, and, and, and in some ways still now in some churches, uh, it was taught that the, the soul needed to undergo a purification for sins after death. That we needed to spend a time in purgatory. And in some places, the church taught that if you bought what was called an indulgence, you could get time off uh, this, this purification. And so people went around selling these indulgences. And there was a man in Germany who, uh, just before the Reformation, went around with this jingle. As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory sp- springs. Give me some money and you'll get time off your purification. It's a very good jingle, isn't it? As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I can almost feel my wallet coming out of my pocket. It's a great marketing strategy. It's absolutely abhorrent theology, isn't it? Freely we've been given. Freely we're to give. But of course when you think about it, it's free to the receiver. But it's not free to the giver, is it? Think what it costs the Lord Jesus to give this, this forgiveness freely. He gave up the glory of heaven He came down to earth and lived among people, no longer being worshipped and adored, but living a a life restricted in a human body. He goes to the cross, giving up his very self, that we might receive the gospel freely, that we might be welcomed freely into the kingdom of heaven. It costs us nothing, but it costs him everything. And friends, this, in a sense, is the engine room of everything, If we're not committed to the work of the gospel, then we need to meditate on this task. Freely, what have we received? We've received everything. We've received what we could never buy, what was bought with the eternal blood of the Son of God, that we might be in heaven forever, ruling with him. Think of that person who told you the gospel. In a sense, there was a cost to them. Perhaps they took a risk to tell you the gospel. Certainly they took time to tell you the gospel. Some of you have been privileged to grow up and hear the gospel in Christian homes. Your parents took the time to organize family life so that you might hear the gospel. Freely we received. Friends, are we doing what it takes that we might freely give the gospel? Well, in verse 9 we have this extraordinary command do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff and it's a slightly odd command 
they're about to go on a long journey and, and Jesus says, don't take all the things you would ordinarily take to do this task. And I think the sense is that they're to go throughout the whole of Israel. It's urgent and so get on with it. And I think the principle for us is this. Our task is urgent and it requires us to be gutsy and dependent on God. Our task is urgent. We're required to be gutsy, bold and dependent on God. Someone said, leaving your staff at home would be a little bit like leaving your, our homes today without our phone, getting halfway to work and realizing we've forgotten it. Or Erin, um, who was singing this morning, said she, she got here and she, re- she got halfway here and realized that she hadn't brought her glasses. She couldn't really see properly. How she managed to get halfway here and not realize that, I don't know. But same kind of thing. I need them. Should I go back or, or, or not? Well, the disciples wouldn't be thinking, this is great. Jesus, thanks for this freeing us so we don't have to carry heavy bags. They'd be thinking, really? We need this stuff. In Luke's gospel, we're told that one of the reasons Jesus does this is so the disciples might learn to depend on him, that they can can experience the fact they can trust God to provide for their needs. And the point is, to behave in this way is uncomfortable. It requires guts. It requires boldness. It requires us to rely on God and we'll do it because the task is urgent. Now in Luke, the disciples are sent out twice. The first time like this, told not to take these things. The second time, Jesus reversed it and, and says, if you, if you can, take some of these things. So it's clearly not the, the, the specifics that are important, but it's the principle. It's urgent. We can't nail everything down, so be gutsy and go. Charlie and I have been watching uh, on Apple TV. I only discovered this thing recently. Apple TV Plus, which has got about three shows on it by the look of it. But we've been watching one of those three shows, and it's, uh, it's called... Um, I don't know what it's called, actually. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's about, um, it's about the... This, pardon? For All Mankind. There we are. That's what it's called. For All Mankind. Uh, anyway, it's about the, the, the space race. And, um, uh, and so they launch the, these rockets. NASA launches these rockets into space. And the incredible thing about these, these rockets is when they name the crew of astronauts to go, they then spend two years training. And they basically work through every eventuality. Anything that might go wrong, they plan for it. Uh, and they work it out and they problem solve it. And Jesus says gospel work is not like that. He's not saying be sloppy. But he says see the urgency. You can't nail down every contingency, so trust God and get on with it. There are so many needs in this nation. If we're to reach this nation, we need to plant so many churches. If we're to reach this area, this small part of Christchurch, Burwood, Shirley, we need to do so many things. And there are so many obstacles. The lack of resources, lack of money, lack of uh, uh, training maybe. And it would be so easy to think, well, when we've worked out what we're going to do with the building, when we've, we've identified and trained some people, when we've worked out exactly how we fit in the diocese, well, then we'll, we'll put our all in. And Jesus would say, no. This ch- passage would say, no. Be gutsy. Get on with the task. It's urgent. We can't nail everything down, but we can trust God. So trust him and go. wonder if anyone's seen or ever read this book. It's called To the Golden Shore. It's the life of Anna and Judson. Has anyone see, read this? No. 
I, I nev I'd never heard of it until a, uh, a few weeks ago. Apparently, it's, it's incredibly famous amongst American Christians. Adoniram Judson was the first uh, missionary ever sent out from America. And it's an extraordinary book. I, I commend it to you. Um, Adoniram Judson felt called to, to be a missionary at a time when nobody else was sent out from America. He, he pushed to be sent. And he had a dream of going to Burma, a place where there were no missionaries. And eventually, having pushed to be sent, he was sent with two or three others to India. And when he got to India, the European missionary said, there's no way you can go to Burma. It's too risky, too dangerous. There's no rule of law, and you'll be killed at the arbitrary whim of the king. Well, somehow he got there anyway. And he suffered immeasurably. He buried two children within the first few years. His wife died. Second wife eventually died. He um, was in prison for over a year where he was tortured daily. And uh, he was so tortured that at one point he was forced march from one prison to the next. And he went over a small bridge and he basically dreamt of jumping in, ending his life. So miserable, so, so racked with pain was he. And think of that today with our health and safety culture. We think it was utter madness. And yet because that man did that under God, a church was born. First, just a handful of converts. Towards the end of his life, over a thousand. That man almost single-handedly translated the Bible into, uh, into Burmese. A translation, I'm told, that still today is being used. Not particularly, I don't think, because it's good, but because there are so few missionaries to go to give them a better translation. It was gutsy. And I wonder, do we have that same determination to reach the people around us? As we look at our offices, as we look at our streets, are we gutsy? Are we prepared to do what is risky? Knowing that it might cost us. Knowing that people might look down on us and think we're that religious nut who lives next door. Knowing that it might cost friendships. That it will cost time. It will cost money. But will we do it because the task is urgent and the Lord will provide? the task is urgent now of course there is a danger of being reckless and the bible is not saying be reckless i don't think there, there are other places we could point to that say count the cost be careful but there's a danger too isn't there of being paralyzed paralyzed out of fear paralyzed out of what might happen and this reminds us the task is urgent we can't nail everything down so be trusting in god the provider and go Get on with it. But see the corollary of this. Look at the end of verse 10. Jesus says, don't take all these things. Why? For the worker is worth his keep. And this is the principle I think we see here. The worker is worth his keep. Or we could say gospel work is to be funded by God's people. How is this mission to be funded? Well, God is going to do it. God is going to supply the needs. But how? Through his people. The worker is worth his keep. And in the context, the 12 were to live on the hospitality of those they went to. But it looks like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 picks up this verse. He says this, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And people slightly scratch their heads and say, well, where does the Lord Jesus say that? Well, he doesn't quite say it like that. I think, though, Paul is referencing this. The worker is worth his keep. Now, the worker is not to get rich. Freely we've received Freely we're to give. But how is gospel work to be funded? 
How are gospel workers to be funded? By the people of God. Not because they're special, but because the work is special. Now, I have the tremendous privilege, like Jeff, of being paid to, in a sense, not have a job. I don't get a salary. I get a stipend. I'm, I'm paid not to work. And I'm paid by you. And I thank you, I thank you for that. I thank God for your generosity. But it's just worth me saying, I, I don't get paid more if you give more. There are some churches around the world where the bigger the congregation or, or the more giving that comes in, the, the, the more the pastor's stipend goes up. I praise God it's not like that in, in our diocese. It means I can say this without any vested kind of interest. But the worker is worth his wages. Do we see this? Are we committed to this principle? Now, in a big church like ours, our staff, I think, are secure, even in a time like this when it's difficult. But there are other areas in the diocese where full-time workers had to go part-time for want of funds. In time, we want to send people to college to train to be full-time laborers. We want to partner with new missionaries. We want to partner with church plants around the land. But we can only do it if there are funds. The worker is worth his keep. Brothers and sisters, are we committed to that? Are we committed to that? In the final few verses, we see the response. We see the internal, the eternal impact of this mission. These final verses show us the seriousness of what is going on here. What is going on whenever the kingdom of God is proclaimed. Jesus said, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And again, I think this is description, not prescription. I don't think this is saying church planters can never move houses. They can never stay in a hotel. I think the more important thing here is the response. Verse 12. As you enter a home, give it your greeting. That's more than just saying hello to the house. It's giving its blessing. And if the home is deserving, that is to say, if the the family are willing to listen to the message, then let your peace rest on it. But if it's not worthy, that is to say, if they're not willing to listen, then let your peace return to you. And you see what is happening. Every time we proclaim the gospel, we're not just using nice words. We're offering the blessing of God, the peace of God, the the offer of reconciliation with God, a welcome into his family. And those who receive it, receive the blessing of God. But those who reject, they forfeit that blessing. Ties in with what Jesus says at the end of this chapter. He says, whoever receives you, receives me. And you see the tremendous significance of what we do? As we go out into the world with a message of God, Jesus goes with us. And if people listen to our message, they don't just receive us, they receive Jesus and the blessing of eternal life. And if they reject us, they don't just reject us. They don't just reject our message. They reject the Lord Jesus himself. And it's horrendous. And those who reject, Jesus says, give them a public demonstration of the consequences. The disciples are told to shake the dust off their feet Now, at the time, pious Jews, when they went into a Gentile area, would shake the dust off their feet to say that they're they're done with the uncleanness of this. And see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go into Jewish areas, and if those people will not hear my message, shake the dust off their feet like they're unclean Gentiles. Now, it's not a spiteful thing. It's not an aggressive thing. Jesus isn't saying, oh, they've, they've rejected you, now you reject them. 
be nasty to them. No, it's to demonstrate the reality of what is happening as people reject this message. And Jesus says it will be worse for those people than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember in the Old Testament, almost a byword for God's judgment. And Jesus is saying for those who reject this message, those who reject our message, it will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah because they know more about Jesus and yet they reject. Reuben said, didn't he, in the interview, we can almost think that this is a take-it-or-leave-it message, that people don't really need Jesus. And Jesus says that's not true. And it's so serious we ought to give people a public sign of that. And I want to I end with this, but I wonder if there might be two possible applications of this. I'm trying to think, what is it to shake the dust off our feet? I wonder if you've ever had the experience of sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus with someone, and they get very interested. Maybe they come to Christian Explored, and um, then they sort of withdraw, and they cease to be interested. And we in our hearts think, well, I'll pull back a bit. I'll, I'll, I'll stop chatting to them because they don't seem interested. But we don't tell them that. And I wonder if what we're doing in our hearts is we're shaking the dust off our feet. We, we won't tell them anymore. But I think Jesus would say you should publicly tell them. You should tell them. And maybe we need to say to that friend, look, I, I, I've stopped telling you about Jesus. I respect that you don't want to hear. And I'm so pleased that you came to Christian Explored. But I respect that you don't want to hear. But let me tell you that's not a neutral thing. Let me tell you with love that if you reject Jesus... He will reject you for eternity. And that might sound very harsh, very confrontational. But you see, Jesus says this is not a take it or leave it thing. It's serious. The other situation I thought of was the person who plays with God. Maybe you know someone who they seem to be a believer and, and they get very excited, but then they don't change their life. They, 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 they accept Jesus and then they go off and they, they lead a life that's totally contrary to what they've said and they make a mess of their life and then they come back and they want to hear the gospel again and we want to tell them, of course we want to tell them but they do it again and again and again and then they come back with crocodile tears and they never repent and I wonder if there comes a time when we say I will not tell you anymore because Jesus says you need to want to listen and you don't want to listen and we shake the dust off our feet, not with anger, not with spite, but to make the point this is not a take it or leave it message. I'm told that some Muslims who hear, hear the gospel, who get interested in the gospel, reject it because they're put off by the way the Christians have a sort of take it or leave it attitude. And that's not Jesus' attitude. Rejection is so serious. Shake the dust off your feet because the consequences are eternal. Friends, I'm sorry we're out of time. Do you see the massive task we have? We're to make disciples of all nations. Are we prepared to freely give as we were given? Are we prepared to be gutsy, to go, relying on our generous God? We're prepared to give generously to this work, seeing the massive significance. The message we take is a matter of blessing and curse a matter of life and death, a matter of heaven and hell. May God have mercy on us.